Thank you, Mike. Let me start again. <clears throat> As we delve further into chapter 2, and specifically its narrative about the Garden of Eden, or the Garden in Eden, it's important for us to remember, to repeatedly remind ourselves, that chapter 2 is an expansion, a recapitulation of chapter 1, supplying more details. Simply, I would state it this way. Chapter 2 of Genesis does not adhere to the orderly timeline of chapter 1. Day 1, day 2, day 3. That is, one cannot lay chapter 2 over chapter 1 and the sequence and timing will match up perfectly. It just, just won't work. And in fact, later when I mention NIV, it's for that reason that it doesn't, it isn't right. However, one can rely on the sequence order of chapter 2 within itself. It isn't like, remember, if you, some of you may remember in, when we were studying the last things, that in Revelation, it, it'll hop around and can be very confusing. Chapter 2 is not doing that. It's orderly within itself. So in chapter 2, the events of verses 1 to 6 occur before verses 7 to 9. Let's read verses 8 to 10 of chapter 2 to begin. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man that he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So verse 8 begins, And Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden toward the east. There are two maps on the back of your handout. Please take a look at the first map showing Canaan next to the Mediterranean Sea. Remember that in this case, the chroniclers, that is Moses' point of view, would have been from roughly the area southeast of what we call Israel today, but was then known as Canaan. We can't say, of course, when Moses began writing the Pentateuch. Could have been on day one of the Exodus, who knows. But near the end, and near the end of his life, he would have been in Moab or Ammon. Remember, it was from Mount Nebo that Moses gazed upon the Promised Land. That's north of that area, just slightly north, across the Jordan. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 49. And we see that on this map directly across from Jericho, across the Jordan from Jericho. So from this vantage point, the location of Eden, the garden, and the beginning of the rivers emanating from it would have been east or probably more precisely northeast of that area. And note the phrasing here. Eden is not the name of the garden. Eden was the name of the area where the garden was planted by Yahweh Elohim. 
So later, when it's referred to as the Garden of Eden, Eden in verse 15, we take that to mean the garden located in or associated with Eden. We can't locate, of course, the, with any measure of precision, Eden itself. But as we see in verse 10, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. Now, Leupold points out, that's pretty weird, if you think about it, that nobody can find any place on earth where that actually happens. It's not uncommon for a number of rivers to flow into one river, or tributaries to flow into one river, but one river to become four, and these aren't streams. I mean, they're, they were big rivers. Uh, very, it's, it's almost supernatural that that went, supernatural. It's almost as if God did it. Please take a look at the second map. To the left, we see the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee in today's Israel. East of that, we have first the Euphrates, followed by the Tigris. These are the only two of the four rivers named in this passage, verses 10 to 14, we'll get to it later, that we can identify. The other two are utterly unknown. Nobody uh, knows where they were, although they guess. And it, you never can stop commentators from guessing. And, and some of them are really, really rich. Uh, the Euphrates is to the Middle East what the Mississippi is to Middle America. It's the river. <clears throat> in fact, in places it's just called that, the river or the great river. It's reasonable to assume being in the northern hemisphere with rivers flowing southward, that Eden would be located somewhere in the vicinity of Haran. But keep in mind that earthquakes and other upheavals, not to mention the flood itself, would have surely rerouted these, would have changed the course of these rivers. So we take this map as offering just a, a general idea for the locations. I wouldn't be so stupid as to say, okay, here's where Eden was. I need to point out, sorry, Renee, welcome back. One variant in our versions, unfortunately, once again, in the NIVs. All our common versions have God planted a garden. But the NIVs add a word, changing the tense of planted. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. John Salehammer points out that the NIV translation, which is, makes it a pluperfect tense, quote, is not warranted by the immediate context or Hebrew syntax, end quote. He goes on to explain that this is done by those wanting to force chapter two into the tighter and more sequential model of chapter one. That's why they did had. They, well, surely, if, and it has to do with foliage. It has to do with planting a garden. That, that well, in chapter one, it says God did things in this order. And, and there surely would not have been, you know, Eden had to exist back when he did it here. And, well, there's no reason to go with that. I mean, why? 
God could have created plants and foliage and crops and then said, hmm, now I think I'm going to plant a garden over here. It doesn't have to jive with chapter 1. So that's why they added the word, God bless them. The garden was planted by God after the creation of man, as affirmed by the second half of the verse. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. There the had is right, had formed. He had formed the man before he formed the garden. Probably most of us have a picture in our mind of Adam being created in the garden. I mean, I know that's what happens in the movie. Uh, but the text clearly states that the first man was made elsewhere, perhaps elsewhere in Eden, in the vicinity. Then he was placed in the garden. The word translated garden, which is the Hebrew gan, includes the idea of an enclosure. The, the word means that. It means a, something hedged about. Uh, as as Leupold points out, the word garden and enclosure or a sheltered, protected spot corresponds to the oriental conception of a garden. Paradise, the conception borrowed from the Persian by the Septuagint translators, is appropriate, but suggests a rather royal park, <coughs> a place of particular beauty and excellence best reflects God's favor toward his chief creature. This helps explain the effectiveness of God barring entrance, entrance to the garden in chapter 3, verse 24. Let's look at that. Genesis 3, verse 24. Am I on? <clears throat> Presumably, this suggests that the cherubim and flaming sword were stationed at an entrance, or perhaps the only entrance, to the garden. It was an enclosure. Now verse 9. Look how he's racing through this stuff. <laughs> and out of the ground Yahweh God caused to grow every tree that is desirable in appearance and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This verse amplifies the preceding, verse 8. Yahweh God planted a garden. Oh, really? What was the garden like? Well, let me tell you. I love the fact that periodically we see mirrored in the first days of this earth some of the elements that will mark its final eternity. Have any of you noted that? There'll be a test. Uh, I mean, we studied, we're seeing elements here, and, and one of those is the tree of life. This is not just textually fascinating, but affirms the cohesive narrative of God's Word. It's all of a piece. We saw that in the text this morning in the message. His genius, divine economy was planned all the way through to the end from before the beginning of creation. God told Jesus, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And he told him 
before anything existed. Anything but them. And here in the subtext of the adjective every, we have the first of a couple in this verse. In chapters 40 to 48 of Ezekiel, the prophet describes in detail what is commonly termed the millennial temple, but which I concluded for our last thing study was not and will not be built. It was just mapped out by the prophet, but it never was or will not be built. Others disagree with that. Even so, in his description of the river flowing out from the temple, he uses the same imagery and words that are here in verse 9. Let's, let's look at that. Ezekiel 47. <clears throat> Blow the dust off Ezekiel. Let's see, where is it? Before Daniel. Close to the end, Ezekiel 47. Let's start with verses 6 to 7. <clears throat> the banks of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. John in the Revelation says much the same thing about the eternal... No, 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 not yet. Verse 12, excuse me, my mistake. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, not, nor will their fruit. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Okay. So in Revelation, John says much the same thing about the eternal new Jerusalem on the new earth. Chapter 22 of Revelation. Again, near the end. <clears throat> no, 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 no. Hang on. Wait till the teacher gets there. <laughs> Makes him look bad. <laughs> Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Okay. <clears throat> then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree work for the healing of the nations. And I believe if memory serves when he's describing the new Jerusalem, right, in, right inside the gate of new Jerusalem is the tree of life. Can't find it. Anyway, <clears throat> this passage not only echoes the imagery of verse 9 in Genesis, but here we see again the tree of life. Its importance revealed by its first appearance in Eden and reappearance in the New Jerusalem of the eternal state. But back to the beginning of this verse. This time God makes the man before he makes a place for him. Now, Heretofore, in chapter 1, he seems to work ahead of what needs, he, he, he makes what needs, what will be needed by the next creation. But here, in this one instance, he does it the other way around. 
However, he logically makes the space and then, re- and then populates it with the trees that will delight and feed the man. What God caused to grow, caused to grow or spring up, depending on your version, within the garden was colettes in the Hebrew. Not just a few, not just a variety of, but literally the word means all, the whole, all of every. Not every tree created or that would be created, but every tree, every one of them, that is desirable in appearance and good for food. So I take that to mean it did not include trees such as thorny acacias. Or, and I struggle to come up with, because just about, I mean, just about every tree has some sort of fruit. I thought, okay, the mighty oak. Well, acorns. You can eat acorns. You can roast acorns. I wouldn't suggest it, but you could. It'd be certainly good beef would be good food for animals. But then I thought, okay, how about maple? Now, I know you can get syrup out of maple, but really, would Adam make syrup? I I probably not. But it doesn't have any fruit, edible fruit. from. Anyway, trees that, what, predominantly it's an orchard of fruit trees, things you can eat, survive. All these trees were beautiful and good for food. They had to be both. It's not or, it's and. Boolean logic. Two trees are highlighted. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm intrigued by something Leupold writes about these two trees. It's not unique to him, but it, just the way he wrote it, it really caught me. Let me read this. Leupold. Both trees are mentioned because both were there and both were destined for a very definite purpose. The tree of life, as appears from chapter 3, verse 22, would have served its purpose in the event of the victory of man in the first temptation. I hadn't thought about it that way before would have served the purpose in the event of the victory of man in the first temptation. Its existence shows that God had made ample provision for man's good. Since, however, it never came to be used, it at once very properly recedes into the background after the first mention of it and is alluded to only after the fall in 3.22. Its purpose apparently was to confirm man in the possession of physical life and to render physical death an impossibility. Well, that's loophole. As we've seen, the tree of life will also be prominent in the believer's eternal state. Lord of the Rings, the white tree in the courtyard. That's, that's the idea. Tree of life in the center of it all. 
But if what Leupold writes is correct, and I see no reason to take issue with it, it raises an interesting parallel with the testing of Job. Where in Job chapters 1 and 2, Satan is given permission to test Job's allegiance to Yahweh. We're all familiar with the story. In Genesis, man is created without knowledge of good and evil. I would suggest this means he doesn't know anything about evil, nor does he know anything about good. They're just, it's, it's like Democrats. It's just what is. <laughs> Republicans are the aberration. We are what is. I mean, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I mean, that's just the way people think. Republicans probably think the same thing. We are what... Yeah, they're walking out. I'm sorry, Al. I didn't know you were a Democrat. He's going to go tell on me. They're going to turn off my mic for good. Yeah, they're dropping like flies. Bear with me. If he got from eating the fruit, if he got obtained the knowledge of good and evil, in fact, Leupold says he changes it to knowing good and evil. I kind of like that. But knowledge of good and evil, then he didn't know about evil and he didn't know about good. If he was good, and I would say he was good, he didn't know it. It's like bugs. They don't know they exist. They just are. Now cats? He not only doesn't know anything about the difference between them, he doesn't even know either exists. To him, there is just what is. Into this situation, God plants two trees. Both trees have an actual physical purpose. But both also represent something. The tree of life represents eternal life. Implied, with God, but it doesn't say that. Based on Genesis 3.22, were the man to eat from this tree, he would live forever. Interestingly, God does not issue a restriction on this tree as he does the other. You'd think he would have. For the moment, in this setting... The second tree is the one far more important, critically important, for it will determine the path man will take here on out. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil does just that. It doesn't make the eater either good or evil. It just informs him that both exist. Then he makes his choice. Adam didn't have this knowledge. He was good, but was ignorant of that fact. Having eaten of the fruit of this tree, he then understood that both good and evil existed. And his eating from that tree proved the existence of evil. 
in disobedience to the command of God. I see that hand. Be healed. Uh, question. Are you saying, I can't remember if it was Selhammer or Leupold, I think it was the latter, that said that the tree of life was put there for Adam and Eve that they might live forever? Like, like the consequences being that they, if they didn't eat of that tree, then they would have not lived? That was Leupold. He didn't quite say it that way. Um, if they had, they would have. Yeah. But I'm not sure that God put it there so that that possibility would exist. I mean, well, it, it, how, how to say this? He says he plants the tree of life and then doesn't pay in much attention to it at all. It, 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 the focus is on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, of course, we'll look at much later as well. But d what is your point? I was just thinking of what Paul says in Romans, that, that death reigned through sin, or, or yeah, let me read it. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I'm thinking... If Adam hadn't sinned, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, they wouldn't have needed, it wouldn't have been required for them to have the, the tree of life because there would have been no death. Good point. Good point. And I've claimed that had they not fallen, had they not made that choice with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that they would have... There was, as you, as you say, no death, no sin, no death, live forever. If, if something about that would have changed if they had eaten from the tree of life, I'm not sure what it was. Well, of course, we see that God got them out of the garden so they wouldn't have Yes, the absolutely. That's what it says in 322. Which... Then begs the question, why did you put it there in the first place? Is it eat of it or eat of it again? No, eat of it. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I understand that. But like you said, you know, he put no prohibition on the, the first tree. So did they eat of it prior to... I would gather not, because it, that's why he kicks them out, so that they wouldn't. If they had already, what's the point? Hmm. Well, I sure we're going to be dealing with with that, yeah. But but what is your comment? He knew that they would. Sure. So how does that fit into is, the fact that he put both trees there? How does it fit into anything? I mean, why why isn't that the perennial question? Isn't that how we live our lives every day? Why did you give me? If you've got it all planned out, why did you give me free will, God? 
just, you know, it, it was like way back when, when we first moved here from California. <laughs> Sorry, I picked up this little quirk when I say California. But uh, we were performing in a in around central Iowa, had another couple that was performing with us. And in rehearsal, the, the guy, he wasn't an actor. He didn't know anything, but he said, well, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to say it, and I'll say it. No, that's not the job of the actor. Uh, I, I, I could make a recording with my voice and get the same thing. You're, that's not your job to just mimic what I do, but that was all he could do. And I think sometimes we want to say that to God. Well, just tell me what to do. Just, just You're in charge. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Well, just fine. Just, just do it. But then he throws in this free will stuff. and that, it Just look what happens. Right out of the chute, the first man and the first woman take the wrong turn. If had chosen to that was that was loophole's point. Yes, yeah. That if, if they said, when the serpent came and said, "No, get out of here. Who are you? Get away from me." God said not to do that, so we're not going to do it. And you think, "Oh, look at that tree. <clears throat> that looks good." Yeah. I think, I think it goes along with the power of suggestion. Like you tell your kids, or you tell anybody, human nature, don't don't do that, and then you get fixated on not doing that. Then yes. You think about it, that. That's right. And so God says, don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing that they would. Knowing that they would, but He didn't say anything about the tree of life. So the suggestion was, let's focus over here first. Let's do this, which I know you won't do. It's a gate. It's a gate. It's it's a it's a split in the road. It's a fork in the road. If you go this way, forget about the tree of life. Your turn. Your turn, Dennis. I, there must have been something special about that tree of life. Obviously, you think? It's, it's in New <laughs> Jerusalem. So That's really But John MacArthur says, and I kind of agree with him, but he doesn't know for sure that. And later on in three, when he when they kicked him out of the garden, so he wouldn't eat out of that tree of life. He says, so they wouldn't stay in that cursed condition forever. If they would eat of that tree of life, they would have stayed in that condition. It ah, plan, ah. Live forever, but not righteously. Right. Ah. So oh, that's interesting. I'm going to follow up on that. Good, good. Thank you, Dennis. Let's push on here. Wherever I was. Oh, I went back to Leupold. <clears throat> Ah, okay. That's what happens when I get off script. Just as Job was tested by God when he permitted the actions of Satan, the two trees created by God will represent in chapter 3 a test of Adam and Eve's love for their maker and allegiance to him by their obedience to his command. 
<clears throat> I'm reading ahead to see if it agrees with what we just said. By eating from the tree, they realized the existence of evil because it now dwelt in them. Oh, of course there's evil. I'm evil now. And they suddenly realized they'd once been good. Robert Hawker has states it more succinctly. This, that just struck me. They suddenly realized that they had once been good. They didn't know they were good, but now they knew they were good, but now they aren't. How tragic? No, isn't that tragic? Here's how Hawker puts it. Shh. Get this. Hawker, quote, <clears throat> much better than I could say it. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, perhaps a token that man by disobedience had learned the knowledge of the good he had lost and the evil he had taken to him. That's profound and a powerful truth. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, perhaps a token that man by disobedience had learnt the knowledge of the good he had lost and the evil he had taken to him. Maybe that's also why the tree of life was set, so they could see what they needed. Yeah, yeah. Also a promise for the future. I think we can come up with a number of reasons for that tree of life to be there and to be there in the end times as well. Well, it wouldn't have meant much if they didn't hadn't sinned first. Is that what you were going to say? No, I just <clears throat> thinking of the tree of life and with the flood and the destruction of the world. So the tree of life would have been destroyed. Yes. Another wrinkle for you to think about. Maybe not destroyed. Maybe God put a dome around it and protected it. Who knows? Well, when, you, when you think of the, the dove that, that brought the olive tree branch back, yes. that olive tree had to survive. Okay. Well, no, that was a new one. That was a new one. Mm -hmm. But, but kind of like when um, the farmers burned their fields, you know, to get rid of the weeds that they, they need to get rid of. And then underneath all that ash comes all this new growth. It's usually I that it's usually me that takes us all off course, and but but you've done it, Renee. Well, I was, I was <laughs> no, don't follow up. No, <laughs> we need to push on. Sorry, just came to verse verse ten. I want to push on. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. Note carefully what this verse states. I get to draw a picture today. The the river does not originate in the garden. Cheap. Here's the garden in Eden. The river is here, passes through the garden to water it, and then either within the garden or immediately after, then splits off into four rivers. 
So it starts up here, comes through to water. Water the plants, the trees, the man, man and woman. Ah, now you're getting dicey with chapter one. <laughs> so it branches out to become four separate rivers, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Verses 11 to 13, no one knows where the first two rivers are located. Guesses range from the Nile to the Ganges in India. Go figure. No one knows. We can't even be sure the rivers still exist, wherever they were. Verse 14. And the name of the third river is Tigris. It is the one that went east of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Hebrew does not say Tigris, but Hidekel, which stands for the river called in Assyrian Hidekelat, and in Old Persian Tigra, or Tigris. So that's how we get to Tigris. And in the Hebrew text, the river Euphrates is Parat. No description was necessary for everyone knew where it was. Like I said, to the Middle East, the Euphrates is the river. Now in chapter 2, from verse 4 on, God is setting the stage for the epical, tragic events of chapter 3. That's really what, even though it gives us more information on what transpired in chapter 1, it, it's really, when you look back off and look at it, it's really setting the stage for the fall. When Adam and Eve and all of creation will veer off course. For the moment, and only for a short while, the garden is truly a paradise. The first man has everything he requires for survival, for health, for joy, well, at least once Eve is created, and for communion with Yahweh God. Life is good. He is good. But in no time at all, all things will go south. Got about one minute or two. Any further thoughts? It seemed this sin after the sin happened, the first thing that man noticed they had fear. The fear came into being. I don't think they feared anything before, but after they sinned, they even feared God. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Yes, they were yes. Afraid. Yeah, yeah. They were afraid he'd see them, the find love them. cast out fear, and God's going to restore that someday. The he surrounds us with that love now, and I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be. The thing that always strikes me about that story, that narrative, is how now that they know sin, he, he made me do it. You notice that? They're, they're, they're blaming. Right down the line, everybody blames the next guy. Not my fault. He made me do it. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> I did not say that. That that was not me. It's the new guy. I get into enough trouble around here. Father God, we cherish your word and we
We hunger to know it better, deeper, and then to write its wisdom into our lives. We thank you for your spirit that helps us do that. And we thank you for this time together and your word itself. In Jesus' name, amen.